All right, welcome for another episode of Talk to Tatiana. And I have a very special guest with me here today, um, Jennifer Kem. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Tatiana. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on my show. Um, I've followed you around. I've been to a couple of events. We've talked and I really admire everything you've done and um, everything you've done in your business and your life. And it's really, really awesome to connect with people who build their own life like you have. Um, and so tell, tell me more, tell me how your entrepreneurial journey started, where did it start and feel free to, to talk about your life because I know parts of it from the events that I've been to, but the my listeners don't. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for the, the mic, if you will, to share my story and also hopefully support whoever's listening to this podcast episode. Um, you asked, where did my entrepreneurial journey start? I, I always tell people that I did not dream of being an entrepreneur growing up. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I was actually working in the corporate world, you know, after college. And I grew up in a small, tiny little town in the state of Hawaii. Uh, there weren't more than a couple thousand people there. It was a sugar plantation town where my grandparents had immigrated from the Philippines. And so I grew up in a very... Um, I call it a closed environment. And I always used to tell people, I feel like the aliens dropped me off in the wrong place because I was always the black sheep of the family, always questioning certain rules and, and wondering why, you know, things were the way they were. And when I was a young girl, you know, my parents could tell I was, I don't know if the word is special. I would just say they knew I had a lot of curiosity about things and so they put me in Catholic school which I don't think necessarily helped <laughs> um, because it was the only private school in our little town I mean literally 10 to 15 students in our class uh, and everybody else went to public school and you know in second grade I you know in second grade they ask you the proverbial question of every child which is what do you want to be when you grow up right and all of the boys were saying they want to be firefighters, policemen, doctors. And then the girls were saying that they wanted to be teachers or mothers or nurses. And I stood up and said that I wanted to be the general counsel for Coca-Cola International when I was in the second grade, which for those of you listening, general counsel means the head attorney of a business or a big company and so in second grade, I had a very clear vision of what I wanted. And people ask me all the time, like, how did you know that? And I'm like, well, when I was little, my grandma, who didn't have more than a fourth grade education, but she really saw a lot of potential in me. And every morning she used to read the newspaper and have peanut butter toast and Lipton hot tea. And I would sit next to her and she would give me the business section of the newspaper and I would read it not really understanding everything in it. But one thing that I did see is that people who were lawyers had power. That's what I thought. That was my perception. And um, that Coca-Cola was the biggest brand in the world. And so I put the two together and that's what I, I said. And I've always been that person, Tatiana, like to, you know, put two things together. But again, didn't want to be an entrepreneur, thought I was going to be a lawyer. That's the point of this story, right? Um, oh. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I actually didn't end up being a lawyer. I went to school in Silicon Valley. And I was in Silicon Valley during the first high tech boom, you know, in 
I'm going to really age myself now, but in the nineties and into the early two thousands. And, um, I pursued my MBA instead of getting a JD, but I started working high tech and was always working in marketing. And I just really saw myself Tatiana becoming the CEO of Google one day. <laughs> like I was like, I'm going to be <laughs> the first female CEO of a fortune 50 company. Like I really envisioned myself doing that. And I was on the path. Um, I, my last couple of years in the corporate world, I was a, an executive for Verizon as the head of their business to business department. And, you know, I was in charge of a billion dollar revenue stream and millions of dollars of budgets and lots of team members. And, you know, I was in charge of launching new products and even products that are kind of boring, but really run the world like cloud services or, um, you know, cell phones, you know, things like that. And I thought, again, this is a great stepping stone from a technology perspective to, you know, become a C-level executive. Anyway, I was kind of that person, Tatiana, that people brought in. I was kind of like the fixer. I don't know if you've ever watched the show Scandal um, on ABC, but Olivia Pope is the main character in Scandal. And she's the one who comes in and cleans up everybody's crap. You know, like she's the one that fixes everything. And my reputation in the corporate world was I was a fixer. You know, they brought me in when projects were going south. They brought me in when, you know, sales wasn't getting their job done. They brought me in when a launch was going poorly. And so I was given this opportunity to launch something really exciting and is today the predecessor of streaming, which we're all now accustomed to, especially with the pandemic, like Netflix, Hulu. I was one of the first executives to bring streaming to the mainstream market, you know, in 2006. And I was brought in because it was a new launch and nobody wanted to touch it because nobody really wants to touch the hard stuff. You know, they want to bring <laughs> in people uh, that do that. So anyway, I worked on the project for a couple of years and I didn't want to take it, but I took it because that's what I do. And I was the mother of two young girls at the time. You know, my kids were, gosh, like eight and four at the time. And I was a busy, busy, busy mom, you know, working executive and Two years, my, my boss basically told me, hey, um, if you take this project on, you're going to get promoted. And I thought, this is great. Another stepping stone, right, to becoming um, the CEO of some company sometime soon. But instead of that, what actually happened was my counterpart, my white male counterpart, who worked in the other division, um, got the promotion instead. And I, I tell this story because I don't, I'm not mad at him. His name's Nick and he's great. Uh, we're still friends. Uh, but I realized in that moment that I didn't have control over my future. I thought I did. I thought that we were working hard and by proving my worth that I would get promoted like it was promised, but the system wasn't set up for somebody like me to succeed. And I realized the only way that you can change a system is that you have to change yourself. And so I made a nine month plan. I realized that in order to do that, I needed to start my own thing. So I made a nine month plan to exit my company or exit the company and started a, my own first business. And again, I didn't really, and it was because what I say, like looking back now, my values were violated. You know, I, I, I thought that my values 
were ambition and family. And what I realized in that moment that autonomy was really my highest value and that I had no autonomy, that I was being controlled. Uh, and the only way to escape that was for me to uh, take my own skills and my genius and bring it to my own endeavors. And so that's what happened. I was a uh, reluctant entrepreneur. I, I didn't think I was gonna become an entrepreneur. So that's the backstory. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I love your story. I didn't, I mean, I knew you were in corporate, but this, um, this gave me a little bit of a deeper dive into your, into your story. It's pretty cool. Actually. I wanted to be a lawyer for many years of my life, but went for MBA instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I totally could relate and, and resonate with what you've said. And I think I've also been pushed into business by circumstances kind of around surrounding it. Um, and some, some discrimination as well. Um, <laughs> so I could totally resonate. Thank you so much for sharing, for sharing your story. Um, and kind of, if, if we move kind of forward um, from your story, tell me a little bit about how was your first business? How was it starting out your business? Because the reason I'm asking is because it's Women's History Month. March is Women's History Month. And that's when your interview is going to air. And I think that well, I wrote a book for women when I was writing it. I was thinking about women who are sitting home and maybe or working at a job that where they feel stuck or uh, dispassionate who want to start a business, something that's a roadmap for them. And so I feel that women, we as women are taught to be careful and cautious when we grow up. And so we kind of take that throughout our life. And we, when men, if they want to start a business, they just go for it. Just mm-hmm. start when we as women are usually kind of holding ourselves back and often don't even start and don't even pursue that something that we're passionate about. So I'm curious to know what was your experience in that way? And what are your thoughts on, on this subject? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that, that stereotype of women versus men and how they pursue their goals and dreams is true. Um, and, it goes back to the story of me leaving. I'll talk about my first business and how I, I, I decided to do what I did. And interestingly, it had nothing to do with what I had skills in. So that's the first thing, um, which looking back was kind of stupid, but I made it work because I understand how to bring things to market. I know how to turn things of value into money. Like that was my entire career. And so being able to use that gave me some confidence, but it, I was still scared as all heck. Like I was so scared because I had no good reason to leave. So if you're listening and you are working in a traditional job um, of any kind, and you are scared, congratulations, you're human uh, because you should be right. I really mean that, Uh, you know, uh, pursuing your dreams is really just fear in action. That's all it is. It's the difference between fear sitting still and fear in action. You're still, every time I always say like, you know, I have this term that I, whenever I'm feeling nervous, I say, okay, I must be hitting next level, next devil. Because every time you hit the next level, you're going to meet a new devil, right? That's going to show up and say, you shouldn't do that. That's scary. You know, people are not going to be with you or like, you're going to make a, you're going to humiliate yourself or you're going to lose everything. Like these kind of feelings and thoughts are real. And so I didn't leave. That's why I, 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 keywords when I said I, I quit my job, it took me nine months. 
I wasn't like, you know, I didn't get pissed off and then say, screw all you guys. Like I knew I had to make a practical plan. And if you ask me now, what I have taken nine months, the absolute answer would have been no, but I probably still would have taken 90 days. I will say that now that I know better, I would have like shortened it. But I tell people all the time, I had no good reason to leave Tatiana. I had a $400,000 salary plus bonus. I had a corner office with a disco ball in it. I had a parking spot that had my name on it. Um, I had a beautiful executive home. I drove a luxury car. My kids were in private school. I had all the makings of like, you shouldn't leave that job. Right. And even if you're listening and that's not the type of job you had either way you have, it's paying your bills. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's supplying, you know, something for you in your home and your life. So I think it's really important for, for, first of all, like I started a business. I didn't know what business I was going to start. Let me start there. And that's also partly why it took me nine months, right? Cause I had to kind of take the first couple months and say, what can I do next? And I'm going to give you a little practical hint right now, if you're wondering, okay. Um, number one, there's two things that monetize quickly. Okay. If you are going, you shouldn't, okay. And I, this is gonna be controversial, but I don't think you should go after your passions. I think you should go after what works first so that you can get confidence, make some money and leave your job. Okay. That's very honest. Thank you. I mean, it's, is it okay if I swear? Is it okay if I'm like, sure. Yeah, it's bullshit. Like it's, it's actually dangerous <laughs> advice to say, follow your passions. Um, because, and you don't have to believe me. You guys can go, sure. I mean, don't, I don't like to pee pee on people's dreams, but I will tell you that <laughs> this is where women also get messed up because then we start feeling resentful that we can't make our dreams pay off completely. And it's because we're picking the wrong first thing. And it's okay, you're supposed to be wrong. That's part of success, you know? Um, in fact, as an entrepreneur, you have to get used to being wrong a lot because <laughs> you're testing. It's a completely different mindset than corporate or traditional jobs where there is a structure and a plan and you follow rules. You have to find so much more discipline as an entrepreneur, more than you even had in the corporate world, because you're now your own boss. And we hated our boss in corporate. So we get start to hate ourselves because we're our own <laughs> boss over here. And my point is, is like, I'm going to go back to the two things. And this is why I made $10 million in my first business in 18 months is you have to have one of two things, preferably both. Okay. The first thing you need to have is a product service or idea that the market actually wants and needs. It, that's like a, a 100% you need that, okay? Um, and number two, it's best to do something already in your wheelhouse. So for example, leaving the corporate world, what I could have easily done is become a consultant on my own, right? Where it's my business. Tatiana, you're probably familiar with this if you came from the corporate world that like in the corporate world, people respect consultants more and they pay them more and they listen to their ideas. And it's annoying when you're the employee because you're like, what the F? Like I'm, what am I chopped liver? You know what I mean? Like, and I realized, that, so here's the thing. I want y'all to hear me. I didn't do that number two and I wish I did. Okay. 
but I did do number one, which was I chose something the market wanted. And that was underwear. And um, seriously, it was underwear. Um, I used to fly from, I lived in Hawaii and I used to fly from Hawaii to Dallas a lot because Dallas is the headquarters of Verizon. And every month when I would fly out, I would come back. When we would land, I would notice that the women on the plane had an extra carry-on. So did I. And that carry-on was a pink and white bag that said Victoria's Secret on it. <laughs> and it was because Hawaii, as I don't know if you also know this, Hawaii is the most populated yet remote place on the planet. People don't realize that. Hawaii is the most remote populated place in the world. And so it's, you know, it's why like from California to Hawaii, still five hours, it's far away. Um, and in Hawaii, I knew that I could actually become a millionaire if I chose something that no one was doing yet. And I realized in that moment, because I know how to build brands, I know how to launch them, I know how to monetize ideas. And I was like, that's it. Pe women are getting on planes to buy underwear. Okay. Now I had no background in retail, except I love to shop. Um, I had no, uh, background in operations in that type of kind of way, but I decided that this was going to be a winning idea and I was right. You know, I, I spent those nine months saving half of my salary, um, not buying any new shoes, clothes or anything like that. I mortgaged my house and I opened my first store and the day I opened, because I got some media, like I knew how to work a brand and um, I sold out the entire, like the, almost the, everything, they, they like took everything off the shelves, my, my grand opening. And I was like, okay, I got something here. And uh, I quickly re-inventoried, built my team, uh, started opening other stores. Now this was in 2006. Now, if you all were around in 2006, in the working world, or maybe you weren't yet, maybe you're younger, but you probably remember your parents or somebody in your family freaking out in 2008. So I had two great years, like incredible. I had so much money. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was like, yes, I picked a winner. And I want everybody to hear, I am an outlier um, because I had skills that I already knew going into the business but I hope that me sharing those two things that matter, if you're going to leave your job or you're early in your entrepreneurial career, it's okay to change back to something you already know, but charge more for it. Like, because that's my story it was really uh, two years. We're doing great. I kept expanding. My financial advisor told me stop expanding. Something's happening in the economy. And I wanted to bet on myself. And I would say like, I don't regret betting on myself, but I also know it wasn't the right thing to do because one thing I didn't have is tons of cash reserves. You know, retail is a very low profit business. It's very, um, you know, overhead heavy with leases, rents, inventory, human resources. I mean, but I had a really sexy brand, not even just because it was underwear. Um, you know, the media started calling me the understylist. Um, Oprah had just done her special on her TV for bra fitting. And I was the only certified bra fitter in the state. Um, I then Sarah Blakely started Spanx and I was the first to carry her line in Hawaii. And so, you know, 
I had something, but I also, what I also didn't have is a lot of cash, right? I had cash flow, but not cash reserves. And in retail and real estate, which were the two industries got hit the hardest by the Great Recession in 2008, I was in those two businesses and I got completely pummeled. I went from millionaire to broke, homeless, and um, I mean, functionally homeless, I like to say. Thank God my grandma let me stay with her, you know, but if I didn't have family, I was functionally homeless. I lost my house. I lost the business. I lost my marriage. Um, and yeah, it was a hard blow. And, um, so I just want to take a pause there because I think a lot of people go, Whoa, I didn't know that happened to you. And it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was devastating, you know, um, because unlike the pandemic that we're just emerging from right at the time of this recording, you know, um, there was no bailout for small businesses in 2008, the bailout came for the big businesses. And so pretty much every small business owner that I was friends with got pummeled too. They got obliterated off the face of the earth. In fact, I don't have one friend from that time that still has their own business, except for me, they're all working in corporate jobs again. So, um, yeah, so that happened in 2008 and I had to figure it out after that too. You know, a lot of businesses got wiped out in 2008 and retail businesses again got hit because um, I work with uh, a few clothing brands, very strong clothing brands. Um, and both of them got scared uh, for a month and we started looking at numbers and how we can make it work. I mean, they've mm-hmm. emerged even better. They've had their best years y- yet in history in their businesses, but um, because I was there to support them, of course, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but it was hard. It's a hard business. Every time there is a, any sort of financial crisis, the retail businesses and real estate get hit the hardest. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So, so, wow, that's really cool. Um, do you feel, I mean, it's a really cool story and I, and I mean it, I don't just say it. I mean, I mean it. It's, um, it's a really interesting story. And I think that every business owner has a story to tell, um, and I love the tips that you've shared. Thank you so much for sharing them. Do you think that as a woman, it was harder to build businesses, both you know, your first business and your businesses after that? I think starting a business is hard no matter what your gender. And I actually, I have, a, I think, a different answer than other people would answer. I actually think entrepreneurship is well-suited for women. It's just that what you said earlier about how we grow up and we have these external beliefs and values that have been inserted into our mindset that makes us believe, you know, or, or overthink whether or not we can do it. Whereas men stereotypically just go for it, right? But I think we're better suited for it because we have a way of looking at solutions. We know how to shift, bend, move, flex in a way that we don't even honor in ourselves. So me personally, was I scared? As I said, absolutely. Right. And I realized now looking back um, that I was well-suited. I didn't think so at the time. That's my answer. It's like, at the time I was like, I probably would have answered if you would have asked me back then, Tatiana, do I think men have it easier than women when it comes to entrepreneurship or, or they're better suited? I probably would have said yes, because of the reasons we talked about earlier. But now that I've been in business for myself over 15 years, um, I 
feel like, no, actually what I know about women is we're badasses and like, we actually can solve any problem in front of us. We are a lot stronger than men are. And I say that with no disrespect to men. I always tell people men are not my enemy, just that I'm pro woman. Like I believe women are epic and, um, Men already get all the easy way. So why should I have to uplift them? We need to uplift each other. You know what I'm saying? They don't need any help. You know, <laughs> they don't need any help being uplifted. So I'd rather focus on us. And um, so now I firmly believe that women are very well suited for entrepreneurship. In fact, I think we're better suited than men are knowing what I know. Awesome. I love that. I agree. I agree. I think that it gives us also the freedom that we want to either raise families or do whatever it is that we want to do. I, I totally agree. Thank you so much for sharing that bold um, point of view. I agree with it. Um, so Jennifer, can you talk a little bit about Jennifer or Jen? I don't know which one you prefer, actually, because I've heard you call yourself both, uh, both of those. <laughs> Most so, people call me Jen, but you, you would find me on social everywhere, Jennifer Kim. So either one. Talk a little bit about your book, your um, your work that you do now, and how you help people and brands, and and just how do you transform the lives of other people with your mm-hmm. business? Yeah, so I'm a multi hyphenate. I like to describe myself as I have four businesses: um, Chemcom, Master Brand Institute, Mana, and um, Femfluence and Master Brand Institute is what a lot of people in what I'd say the online world know me as because we help entrepreneurs get seen, heard, and paid simply by being themselves and building a brand that makes impact and income beyond their wildest dreams. And so, how we do that is through education, consulting, and advising entrepreneurs how to build a personal brand and a company brand and an offer brand. And they are different, but they're connected. So I'll just kind of tell people the difference because I think this is a teaching point that I hope you all take away as well. So your personal brand, that's kind of obvious, right? And in today's world, whether we like it or not, I actually don't like it, but I'm also a rational, realistic human being. That's partly why I'm successful, I believe, Um, is I'm one part crazy and one part realistic. You know what I mean? I think you need to be both to be an entrepreneur. And um, your personal brand, especially in today's, that's what social media is. It's your personal brand. I mean, it's like who you are. People want to trust people, not just companies or products, right? Um, And social media has made that even more important. And again, I actually don't love that it's like that, but it is what it is and it's never going to stop. So you got to get on the train. But especially if you want to be an expert in something or being seen as a thought leader or, you know, a services-based professional, and you want to be seen as the choice for that, your personal brand has to um, have authority and approachability, right? So authority means, frankly, your resume, like in your case, Tatiana, you have your MBA, you're a published author, you know, you have an accounting company that has helped you know, people overcome and you've advised them to overcome challenges, right? From a financial perspective. So these are all authority stories that support your personal brand. And then approachability is like your mom of two, right? You um, are, you know, a woman who came from, let's say more traditional work and decided you wanted to be an entrepreneur. These are all actually approachability stories, right? 
Um, so for your personal brand, I hope the takeaway that y'all hear from that is you need to know what your authority and your approachability are. That's, that's the takeaway. Then there's your offer brand. Your offer brand is your product or service. That's an actually brand in itself. It's like when you have Apple is the company, right? Steve Jobs, like Apple is the company brand. Steve Jobs is the personal brand and the iPhone is the offer brand, right? So sometimes a company, you need to have, you can't make money without a good offer. That's the bottom line. Your offer is the number one thing that matters. And the next thing that matters is the messaging of that offer. Those are the two most important things for, for an offer. It's gotta be something that people want. That was what I said earlier with my story, right? It needs to be something people want and you have to message what they want to them. So they decide to buy from you. So that's an offer brand. And then company brand is the company, obviously that holds the space for uh, the offer as well as is the company that the, the personal brand founded, right? And when people ask me, oh, you know, what's the most important? I would say your offer brand is the most important first, then your personal brand and those two equal your company brand. Um, and so with us, what we do is we help people architect that um, those three dynamics and monetize, you know, especially if they have a book or they have, if they have thought leadership in some space, we can pretty much make that into money pretty easily. But most importantly, money to me is a side effect of impact. And most importantly, that people know you as the go-to person or company or offer in the space that you want to occupy. And so that's what we do in Master Brand Institute. Um, Chemcom, which is my other company, we do the same thing for corporations. In fact, that was my comeback story when everything fell apart for me in 2008. I had to decide, do I want to go back to corporate? Because I knew I had the resume to do that. Or do I want to do some, still be an entrepreneur? And I was scared as all hell to be an entrepreneur after I failed. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, I had so much trauma <laughs> and wound yeah. from that. And then I was like, but I had to ask myself, what's my highest value? It's still autonomy. And if I go back to corporate, I'm not living my values. And so I had this idea bulb that went off in my head that was like, oh, I should become a consultant because they get paid better and they get more respect, as I said earlier. So I started Chemcom as me as a consultant. And my first client was Verizon. <laughs> thrilled to have me on board to help them. And they're still my client today, 15 years later, millions of dollars we've exchanged between our companies. And um, so Chemcom does that. I have a company called Mana where we do, uh, we create physical products and it's an e-commerce brand for people to uh, have success rituals that include crystals and journals and planners and elixirs and stuff like that. It's kind of like my um, spiritual slash witchy brand. And then I have <laughs> uh, Femfluence, which is my, uh, I do these tables every month to gather women entrepreneurs um, to help each other grow their businesses. And it's really more like a community uh, situation. So those are four of my businesses. I also invest in a lot of women's women businesses. In fact, I don't invest in any businesses that aren't founded by women or at least 51% owned by a woman. Um, and that's my next real season of life. Like I want to be mainly an investor. I'm firing myself as CEO and be a career author and speaker that helps women specifically um, men will be helped too, because you know, they're going to be reading my stuff. Uh, but more so that I can leave my legacy behind. Cause I'm now, you know, I'm close to 50 now. And, um, 
I want to make sure that I capture everything I know in books that will be left behind. So that's my next play in my next season. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for a really great and honest and direct um, sharing, sharing of your story. It's very cool to, to hear that and to see that, to see the, the pretty and the not so pretty um, sides of, of, of someone's story, of their business, of their growth. It's really amazing. I, and I'm very thankful for you, uh, for your, for you agreeing to come onto my, onto my show. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what do you think you would tell that girl? Mm-hmm. A lot of things. Um, <laughs> but I think the number one thing I would tell young Jen Kim is you were right. Do it. You were right. Just do it. Awesome. I love that. Thanks so much, Jen. Uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Obviously, your social media handles and everything will be in the show notes, or if you're watching on YouTube, it will be below the video. But um, what's the best way to start a connection with you? What's your um, offer or a top of the funnel um, connection with, <laughs> with the listener? <laughs> yeah. So first and foremost, I love Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram at jennifer.kem, K-E-M, um, it's a great place in my feed and my stories and my reels. I give a lot of free tips and also direct you over to my second favorite place to serve you, which is YouTube, where we have our YouTube channel, just like Tatiana has her own, um, to where I, I go in depth more around training how to build your brand. Um, and then I also want to give your people a free gift, Tatiana. Um, one of the things that our company does is we use this diagnostic tool called brand archetyping. And we created an assessment that helps you find the personality of your brand as well as the voice of your brand. So I wanna give it to you free. You can go to confidently.me, not com, confidently.me forward slash Tatiana. And you can take that diagnostic. It's a real psychological assessment of your company. It doesn't, it's not short or clickbait. You'll actually get reports, full reports on how to use your brand archetypes in your messaging when you market what you have. So I hope that supports you and helps you discover more about your personality so you can put that and get more courage when you share what you're up to. Awesome. Thank you so much. I just uh, I just noted the uh, the link so you'll be able to find it in the show notes. Those of you who are listening um, and those of you who are watching, you'll find it below this video on YouTube. Jennifer, thank, thank you so much for being a guest. It's really been a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for your honesty and sharing your story and um, giving me an insight into your life and really inspiring me to to keep moving forward, to keep um, to keep doing what I'm doing, um, because I, I see that based on your example, it's really, it really pays off uh, when you know that you're doing it for the impact. And I totally agree. You know, money is, is the side effect of impact. And that's really what I want too. And I'm sure that people who are listening as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be back next week for another episode of Talks with Tatiana. Thanks so much for watching and listening and um, talk next week. <laughs>